I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We continue to work our, our way through this letter. We come this morning to Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. I have purposely arranged things today to help get us to uh, a good place to, to discuss well what, what Paul is, is trying to help us to see and what he is trying to help us to to want and to desire as part of our Christian discipleship. And those are not often words that we use with regards to our discipleship. Things like we want, things, word phrases like we desire, right? And so I'm going to, once again, I'm going to read uh, your response that you gave to the Lord this morning in Psalm 63. I'm going to read that again. And then we will read from Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 17. Listen in both of these passages to this emphasis uh, that is being placed on, on the concept of desire and passion. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Now this I say and earnestly and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hard, their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask for your help this morning going to realign our, our hearts and our minds to, to your truth, but to, to help us better grasp the, the realities of the context in which we live that is always and ever vying for the affections of our hearts, always seeking to reconstruct the dimensions of our minds seekingly 
uh, constantly seeking to, to conform us to its image. Lord, help us to be more wise with regards to this battle and help us to be more excited about the weapons of your warfare. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. This is what Paul has, has been talking to us now as, as shorthand for saying, you have to drink deeply the extravagant grace of God for you in Jesus Christ. And that starts from the very beginning of the letter that we are to live in the fullness of the recognition that in Jesus Christ you have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I say that every week because it is the new reality in which you live. It's not just a statement about something that is coming. It's not just a statement of, about something that you hope for. It is a statement of the present reality of the new creation that has been brought into existence because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you in Christ have been drawn into that new reality. And Paul says, so you are to live in a manner that is worthy of this new reality. Last week, we, we talked about this need that we have, though, that as participants in this new life in Christ, as participants in this new created order, this new world, the world of the resurrection, as those who live in that right now, we don't live in the fullness of that yet, and we don't live in the full maturity of what we will be. And so we are to grow up that every one of you has received a, a gift of grace from Jesus Christ, and you are to grow up in the gifts of, the, of that grace. And, and as we talked about last week, you grow up by being trained to use those gifts, but you also grow up by actually using them. God has gifted you these things not so that you can hoard them, and not so that you compare what others in order to either feel better about yourself or to feel worse about yourself. Not everybody is going to be an elder. Not everybody is going to be a deacon. Not, every, not everybody is going to get to lead the, the women's ministry. Not everyone gets the privilege of working the nursery. And I do not say that tongue-in-cheek. And I'm telling you, we need more people to come to grips with that, with that pleasure and with that privilege because we need help. We need for people to be growing up in their perspectives of what it means to be new in Jesus Christ as part of this community of faith that is, that is existing as a manifestation of the new creation. You have to grow up. You have to mature. So Paul now, as, as to help us kind of start working into the details, he, he tells us, look, 
Even though you have been blessed with all the spiritual uh, blessings of the heavenly places, even though in Christ, chapter 2, you have been made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenlies, even though in Christ you are now being built into this eschatological temple presence of God that will last forevermore in the full enjoyment of the glory of his presence, even though this is who you are, You do not live in that existence in its fullness yet. And so you still have to deal with, as Daniel prayed, the waves that constantly hit us in this life. We have to deal with those strong winds that are constantly blowing and trying to buffet us and to push us and to manipulate us. We live still in the existence of the cursed world, even as we simultaneously as those in the heavenly places. And something before you every day. And that is, am I going to live today as someone who is in the heavenly places here on earth? Or am I to live as someone here on earth, either forgetting about the heavenly places or trying to turn the earth into the heavenly places? And what Paul tells us is the reason you wrestle and you struggle with this temptation is because what it means to be an unbeliever is that you are someone who is dead in sins and trespasses so that the capacities you have, even as a fallen person who is still in the image of God, those capacities are used to pervert good things rather than to help you experience those good things. God is not a stingy God. The writer of Hebrews tells us that if we are going to pursue God, if we're going to come near to God, It doesn't happen just by way of of believing that he exists. It says in in Hebrews 11.6 that you must also believe that he rewards those who seek him. God wants to bless you. He doesn't just want to give you a list of do's and don'ts. He wants to bless you. The do's and don'ts are important because they help protect us from the things that lead us away from blessing and they help lead us into the experience of blessing. So the two are not separated from one another, but I can tell you that as, as Reformed Christians, a lot of times, because we want to protect ourselves from the abuses that we have seen in other traditions that like to embrace and promote a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, we, we like to hedge against that by thinking that the problem that is there is the problem that they don't take obligation to God serious enough. They just want to use God. And what we do is we embrace a bad way of thinking. And we think, 
Well, if that's bad and they're using God, then what I will do is be good by not wanting anything from him at all. My existence will be tied up with the obligations that I have to him. And we forget that the Apostle Paul from the very beginning in which he is trying to help a young uh, community of faith grow up in their salvation, the first thing he says to them is, you have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he spends three chapters unfolding the extravagant grace of God. Because what he has been doing is trying to train your taste buds to crave the right things. What he has not been doing is trying to teach you not to crave. The Apostle Paul here in, in, in Ephesians 4, he, he tells us this, this main idea here in verse 17. That you are no longer, so he says, walk in, a worthy, walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have, verse 1. Now, verse 17, he says, don't walk like the Gentiles. You see what he's done there? He's saying, walk as one who is in Christ. Don't walk as if you're not in Christ. Don't walk as, as one who has been uh, blessed with all the spiritual blessings of the heavenlies. Don't walk as someone who thinks that what will make them happy is what they experience here on earth. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futilities of their minds. Now, does that word futility ring a bell? What if I said in the vanity of their minds? Would that ring a bell for you? Interestingly, the word that Paul uses here for in the futility of their minds is the same Greek word that is used throughout Ecclesiastes when Solomon talks about the vanity of vanities. When he talks about the emptiness, when he talks about the futility that every time that, that, that Solomon talks about that in Ecclesiastes, he's using this same word. But more than just a word, he is, he is dealing with the exact same concept. If you recall the problem of, uh, that, you, that, that, that Solomon is addressing in Ecclesiastes is that when you think that this fallen world is all there is, you are living a futile existence. Because is this existence the only existence in the world? Is this all there is? What we have in a closed loop system of cause and effect here on earth? No. That we understand as God has revealed things to us that there is a world that exists beyond what we experience on the day to day. That there is a spiritual dimension. There are heavenly realities. And that there is this greater purpose 
where this world in its present state is cursed and will pass away, there is something better that is coming. And what happens for the person who is an, who is an unbeliever, someone who is still a, a sl- uh, dead in their sins and trespasses, someone who is a, a slave to the darkness of an existence outside of God, what they do is they take something that is temporary and they try to act as if it is eternal. They take something that is a means to something else and they turn it into the end of all things. And as they are created in God's image, we talked about this, They are created as worshipers. They are created as desirers. You and I, by being created in the image of God, are created with this inherent capacity and need to want and to desire because we are created to find our satisfaction in God. The problem is what sin does is it takes that God-given capacity and it perverts it. So that rather than desiring the right things in the right ways, we can desire the right things in the wrong ways. We can desire good things, but for bad reasons. We can desire bad things that we shouldn't desire at all. There's a whole level of this problem of desire that has, that has been created because of the fall of Adam into sin. A natural capacity perverted, not obliterated. So the unbeliever will look for love in all the wrong places because they're not looking for it in God himself. Why does Paul tell us not to live like the Gentiles and the futility of their minds? Is because what has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ is there is something new about the world and there is something new about us. Jesus has been raised from the dead. There is something new under the sun. And the new creation has dawned in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And beloved, when you and I are saved, what it means is you've been brought out of death by being a participant in the resurrection of Jesus into life. And you cannot be raised to newness of life without being raised into the new creation. Okay, And so the challenge for you and I is this. We are those who have become part of the new creation. And we are those who still live in the cursed world. We live in both. And we live in both simultaneously. And what can happen is if we are not cultivating this new identity that we have in Christ if we don't 
cultivate what it means for us to be raised in the newness of life, for us to have already received all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places, to be those who have that, that capacity to desire and to want that it is being fixed and we are now able to exercise that God-given capacity to desire and to put those desires on the right things in the right ways as, as that is now part of who we are. What we have to do is make a conscious decision every day that we are going to put off the old self and we're going to put on the new self. We wear Jesus as the robes of righteousness. But what happens is in our justification, even though God counts us righteous in Jesus Christ, the experience, what you and I do is we at times remember we wear those robes and at other times we forget about the robes that we're wearing and we think that we're still wearing the robes given to us by Adam. You have a fashion. Right? You've got to put off the old and you put the new. This is about a conscious cultivating of, of cultivating new stuff by choking out old stuff. But you don't get there. Notice here, Paul says, the problem for the Gentile, the problem for the unbeliever here, is that of a problem of a hard heart. They have the problem of being captured by deceitful desires. You don't overcome those things by saying to yourself, all right, what I've got to do is I've got to stop desiring things. If I just don't desire, then what can, what'll happen? Well, then I won't desire the wrong things. So if I can just cut off desires, if I can just cut off craving, if I can just cut off one, then what'll happen is that will free me up from wanting the wrong things. It'll free me up from wanting the right things, but for the wrong reasons. It'll free me up from wanting the right things, but in the wrong ways. And it'll free me up so that my existence can be one of just living out obligation to God. If I can get rid of the problem of desires, then my obedience will find the space that it needs to flourish. There's a problem there, though. You can't cut off a God-given and now a Christ-redeemed capacity and live the life of obedience that you want to live. What you've got to do is stop bifurcating between desire and obedience. And you've got to learn and cultivate how to hold them together so that your desire, as it now has a new capacity in Christ, you cultivate the use of that desire in the right ways. 
What does David tell us in Psalm 63? That your love is better than life. So my lips will praise you. And what is the context in which he is saying that is? It is this description of an awareness that life in the cursed world is a life of a, of a dry throat. It is a life in which there is the need uh, to, to, to have the thirst quenched. And if you are looking to, to quench your thirst in the right things for the wrong reasons, or if you're looking to quench your thirst but by, by desiring the wrong things altogether, all you are doing is throwing the desert dust into your throat. Oh, I'm thirsty, so let me take something that is dry and cannot fulfill me, and let me take that in some more. Instead, what David says is, I've got to take in that which can quench the thirst. And so he says, I go to your temple. I reflect upon the glory and the beauty and the truth of who you are as I have beheld that when I have come into your presence. The Christian life is not about eradicating desire so that you can be more obedient. It is about learning to cultivate desires that are reflective of your new identity in Jesus Christ. So that as you are craving the right things in the right ways for the right reasons, that is going to be the means by which your obedience will begin to flourish. God doesn't just come to the Israelites and say, I'm God, you're not, so do what I say. He says, I am God, and I have drawn you out of bondage and slavery. And I am giving you a new identity and a new purpose in this world. One in which you get to behold me. That you get to benefit from knowing me. And that you learn to live out this new identity as you learn to embody these benefits. To me, to one another, and to the nations. Paul tells us here that there is a love for sin that will entrap us, and we put that off. But you can't put it off by simply trying to put away desire. Thomas Chalmers, who, is, uh, who was a 19th century Presbyterian Scottish minister, a minister who played a huge role in, in motivating and shaping the, the, uh, the stories of William Wilberforce, preached uh, what is now one of the most famous sermons that you can read online for free. Uh, the sermon is, is on 1 John 2.15, and the title is The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. 
And what he is laying out in this sermon is that God tells us that we are not to love the world. Because if we love the world, then the love of the Father is not in us. But the question is, okay, we're not to love the world, but how do we go about doing that? How do you stop loving the world? And what he is arguing is that you can't simply tell people to stop their their sin. You can't simply tell people to stop loving the world. Sin has a magnetic power that attracts us, and unless a greater power grips our heart, we remain powerless to change. You can't just simply try to do away with desire because your heart's cannot have that experience. Such is the grasping tendency of the human heart that it must have something to lay hold of, and which, if rested away without the substitution of another something in its place, would leave a void and a vacancy as painful to the mind as anger is to the natural system. So how do we put off the the old self, which is a slave to deceitful desires? It is by putting on the new self and teaching and cultivating our desires to be set on the right things for the right reasons in the right ways. Or as Paul says here, remember that you're new and that you've been made in the image of God according to his righteousness and his holiness. Holiness, beloved, is about devotion. It is about the heart being set on God and his purposes. And righteousness is a living out It is an embodying of that holiness as one whose characteristics reflect the passions that God has for his own glory. And so the two are tied together here for us. And in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that that you need in order to dwell with God And to enjoy his glory is a righteousness being gifted to you. And the holiness that you are called to exercise as someone who has been drawn into the participation of the life, love, and mission of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that holiness, that devotion has also been gifted to you in Christ. And so you don't have to sum these up you learn to cultivate what you already have by learning to cultivate what you already are. And so don't try to strain your desires. Cultivate them onto the right things in the right ways for the right reasons. Because we are told that the chief end of man is to glorify and enjoy him forever. Let your hearts 
not just listen to him so that you can obey him. Let your hearts listen to him so that you can enjoy him. And as you learn to enjoy him more and more, you will learn to enjoy things that are lesser than him more and more. Set the entirety of the affections of your existence on God. Beloved, we are not the chosen frozen in Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we have been tricked and we have been duped, even out of good reason and for, and, and for good motivation, but whether it is the world or, or whether it is sometimes the, the aberrant way in which we try to fight the world, the end result is often the same that we become confused and deceived and we think that existence in this world as your people is, is about learning to just dutifully do what you say while separating that from enjoying who you are and what you have given us in Christ. And so, Lord, teach us to inflame the passions of our hearts by putting them on the on, on the right things. Help us this week, Lord, as, as we read our Bible and as we pray and as we interact with one another in fellowship, Lord, help us to do that, not just simply out of a sense of this is the right way to live, but that this is the way in which we do taste more of you on a daily basis. That, that we find in your word the real presence of Christ that, that we can take in. That as we engage in prayer, we, we, we join our, our hearts and voices to the mediation of Jesus Christ. That as we, as we come before you in the Lord's Supper, we behold the body and blood of our Savior and we take that in to the deepest recesses of our souls by faith because it is a means by which we are nourished, that we are fed, that our thirst is assuaged. Lord, help us to cultivate the newness of the new creation and our new identities in Christ. To desire the newness, to want the newness, and therefore to therefore practice the newness that comes with this infinite capacity that has been designed to find its ultimate fulfillment on you. Learning to do that more and more every day. Father, may you help us to see that the success we're going to find in living the Christian life now is not by putting down the unbeliever, but by living up to the newness of who we are in Jesus Christ so that we can show the unbeliever that what they are trapped in is insufficient and that it is, it is a lie, and that it cannot do what it promises. And Lord, let us set before them the only thing that can truly fulfill that God designed whole within their souls, and that is to present you yourself 
in our attitudes, in our desires, in our purposes, and yes, Lord, in our actions. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.